0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Colby, tuning in here with Kurt Pruitt, who's joining me from uh, from afar, a.k.a., uh, where technically is the city that you live in, Pruitt? What's the name of the city? Yeah,
1: I'm in Bluffdale.
0: It is technically Bluffdale?
1: Yeah, I like to say Draper, though, because it makes me sound like I make more money than I do.
0: Well, honestly, you should just say that it's kind of out by the jail, and you're essentially living in the face of danger every single day takes a true a true brave man to do it someone's got to watch those prisoners dude <laughs> you like you've, you've taken on the black except for you actually have a <laughs> wife
1: yeah that's true i mean i'm on the watch now till the my, end right. of my days
0: that's right you're a noble a no, brave and noble soul well anyway here we are this is uh technically episode number two um episode one turned out great I don't know if it's going to reach a lot of the ears that uh, this episode could potentially reach because it may not see the light of day on a public forum, but we had a good time. We're still uh, still up in the air in regard to what this thing is going to be named, but all that said, we're still going to have some fun, and uh, if we, we come up with a name, probably soon yeah. uh, we'll be letting you know.
1: Yeah, I feel like a name's like a shirt. You just got to try a few things on and see what fits right and see if you like it, you know, so we're not going to jump to anything too soon. <laughs>
0: definitely not and it's also like a shirt where you don't really want to be seen in public with it if it doesn't work right yeah, so totally we, uh we, we probably won't be throwing out any potential names or putt- any uh any ideas quite yet until we've decided on the one that we want to be seen at our uh, at our prom night with
1: the emperor's <laughs> new the emperor's new what is that thing when he walks around naked do you know what i'm talking about Emperor's new
0: groove i don't know i don't <laughs> know <what? laughs>
1: There's that old thing where everyone like is so scared of the king to say he doesn't look good that the guy gave him a fake robe and it's actually nothing. And he walks around naked and everyone acts like how good he looks. But in reality, he just looks like a fool. So that's us. We're just two fools on the naked interwebs.
0: Yeah, that actually makes... I can identify with that even though I have no idea what you're talking about. I definitely feel like a fool. So he's uh, that, that's our guy right there. But anyway, dude, so it's a nice... Finally bright Sunday afternoon, you're filled up with some brunch. You had some fresh mountain air inside of you, and uh, we've had uh, you know a little bit of time to reflect on a few things that have happened. Obviously, you know Game of Thrones is now almost officially completely in the past. It feels like it was just a part of yesteryear. Um, we've got the NBA finals that are still. Uh, we've got Game two tonight actually coming here in about four to five hours. The uh, the king in the north, aka Kawhi Leonard, looking to uh, to take down the Warriors for a second time in Toronto. What do you think, man?
1: It's interesting. <clears throat> I want to say that the Warriors are still favored, obviously, to win the whole thing. I don't know if Toronto honestly has a actual chance to win. I don't know. They might. Some weird things happened. Game one, the Warriors did a really weird thing where I feel like like the analogy I'm thinking of is boxing and. For some reason, they came out and started throwing haymakers by like doubling Kawhi right off the bat and just throwing this double team at him from the very beginning of the game. And I feel like that got Toronto's role players actually rolling early. Siakam obviously had a great game. Is that how you say his name, Siakam?
0: Uh, I don't know, Siakam. Si- oh, that's
1: right, Siakam. That's how you say it. Sorry, everyone. Totally said it wrong. Um, I'm not good with names when I'm reading them. He had obviously a great game, but I mean, like Van Fleet was making insane shots. Gasol had a game. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. I I feel like you live with Kawhi scoring 30 points on 15 shots rather than role players killing you. It's really interesting things to unfold. I know the Warriors are actually historically really good after rest and historically really good in Game 1s, but usually those Game 1s are at home, right? So maybe kind of messing around during the regular season wasn't a good idea and they should have actually tried for home court throughout the playoffs. That might end up being... A little bit of a storyline to follow. Um, what do you think, dude? Is there any chance that Toronto can actually pull this thing off? Because I really I think it would be really cool for the fan base in that city to get a championship. Like I'm all in on them winning. But I just don't know if it's like feasible, to be honest. And if KD comes back, I think there's not really a chance. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think I think I'm with you. Um as I think about it, it almost feels like I want to believe I want to believe that the Raptors can honestly pull it off like I think you hit the nail right on the head you know Kawhi was all things considered relatively uh limited on offense um they did a really good job of containing him and you know Siakam went just supersonic essentially and Gasol went off for 20 like it it's hard to believe that that's going to happen again but also I mean Kyle Lowry didn't have a crazy offensive game you know there's there's some room for improvement there and then uh you know, obviously, it'll be interesting to see if the Warriors up the ante a little bit and try to defend Siakam a little bit more, and maybe not double Kawhi as much, and see if you know Kawhi ends up making them pay for that. And I think we're gonna need—they're gonna need a Lowry game, a game where Lowry just goes crazy—and maybe this would be, you know, would be ideal for them to have this one. It kind of feels like, you know, even in the last series when Portland was playing Golden State, you know, Portland would be up by 17. Like, I think they were up in 17, three, two or three games, I can't remember, going into half. And it just still felt like, you know, the onslaught's coming, the onslaught's coming. You know, just like, um, yeah, it just didn't matter. And so the thing is, is I I wonder if the Raptors' defense, which is a defense that Golden State really hasn't had to face or deal with at all the entire year. And I think the Raptors won both games in the regular season. And it just might be something that's just a little tough for them for for them to deal with. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see uh, to see what happens. But they'll they'll need a little more out of Lowry, and, and hopefully Siakam. That wasn't just uh you know he didn't catch lightning in a bottle.
1: Yeah, because they're gonna need him. Really interesting. I mean, Gasol would come out on those picks, high pi- like very high picks, like in between the three point line and the half court line, and hedge those screens all the way out onto Curry, like forty feet away from the hoop, and he was making sure that Curry was not going to get some crazy Curry moment to heat up and get going. It really brings something, an edge to that defense that I don't think they necessarily had beforehand, and it's it might be a problem. I really hope that we get a Lowry moment in these finals. I'm a fan. I just think he's, he seems like a cool guy. Um, like him and Kawhi celebrating going to the finals is really, really fun to watch. Seems like he genuinely... Just wants to win, and it would mean a lot to see him win with Toronto. I would love to have or be able to watch him have that moment in the finals. He had that pull-up three at the end. Felt like the game was already sealed, so it was more more of like a figurehead type. Like, ah, yeah, this is Lowry like hitting a big shot in a game, but in reality, that game was sealed. I want him to have something in these finals. I think that would be really cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. It felt like that Lowry shot, it's like when uh, maybe... <laughs> When you just picture the scene where you know some maybe the husband gets caught cheating and they you know his wife kicks him out of the house and you picture him walking away and then the Lowry shot was just like the the briefcase and the clothes that got thrown out behind him like okay this thing's over and uh it was it was that was that was a splashy shot and it was kind of a a slap to the face um and you know the cherry on top of it just a solid win and yeah i agree with you Lowry's kind of uh you know he's a borderline all-star point guard but you know obviously doesn't have his he hasn't had his praises sung by you know the national media like someone like Steph or any you know most of the point guards in the league so it's cool to see uh you know see him it would be cool to see him play well in the big moment and so yeah I'm definitely pulling for them so we'll see
1: oh I just feel like playoff Lowry is a known commodity for the wrong reason where he kind of doesn't show up in the playoffs. so I think it'd be cool for him to get that monkey off his back um he's thick boy he's bae too I mean Lowry thick boy and I want him to win
0: yeah, and it'd be cool for, I mean, not just to mention, it's it's kind of crazy, like, a lot, if you think about the Raptors team, you've got Kawhi came from the West, you think of Lowry came from the West, Houston, you know, he was with Houston and with Memphis, I believe. Um, you've got Ibaka also coming from the West, you know, with, uh, had uh, a few, a few runs against the Warriors from, or when he was on OKC, and then you've got Gasol also coming from the West, and it's like, the West, uh you know all these guys have have had their battles against the warriors and are familiar with playing the warriors multiple times um you know in their own special way and now you know they've teamed together on the east to uh to bring him down so it's kind of cool to think of it from that aspect whereas i mean i don't know it's just like a a borderline not quite a west super team but a super team but it's like a west an experienced savvy veteran team that uh it's not like the Raptors of old, you know, where the, you know, the Raptors, they have that reputation of, you know, falling in, in clutch situations. And, and this is, you know, a brand new guard. So I'm hoping they can pull it off. It'll be fun. And tonight will be huge. You know, if we can go, or if the, well, if the Raptors can go up 2-0 going back to Golden State, I mean, with, with no sign of KD, uh, obviously that would be, uh, that would be huge.
1: Um, yeah, LeBron's gone. LeBronto doesn't exist anymore. They're in the finals. I feel like anything can happen in the finals there is a little bit of a buzz national media wise that maybe people are overrating the warriors without KD because they kind of rolled through Portland. I'd like to see that team go down. I like to see that team get broken up. I'm over it. It's been a long enough run warriors. They have their rings. Let's, let's get the league back and get some other teams there in the finals. Um, uh, most importantly, the jazz let's get back there.
0: I know, man. And, uh, Yeah, rebalancing seems like it's definitely on the horizon. Uh, Rebalancing of the West and the powerhouses of the West, maybe not the powerhouses, but uh, maybe scraping some cream off the crop. And uh, you know, there could be a few more teams that could become competitors, and some of the, just like the Warriors, of course, maybe not quite so strong um, going forward. So let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Jazz situation. There isn't a whole lot new on the free agent front. Is you know we're still obviously the finals have to end for things to really heat up. But, uh, you know, every now and again you hear, you know, you see a tweet from a local reporter or you, you see something on SportsCenter or, you know, whatever. And uh, so we just kind of want to check the pulse on, you know, where things are trending with the Jazz and any new insight or news. And so uh, the first thing is, you know, a little bit of talk about Kemba. Kemba came out yesterday and said that he is not necessarily so concerned with his brand that he, he really likes Charlotte. He says a small market is a great place to play. You know, he's grown up in Charlotte, yada, yada, yada. And so from a jazz point of view, from a jazz fan point of view, how do you take his comments, and do you think this increases the likelihood that there's a possibility of the jazz landing him or decreases the likelihood of the jazz landing him?
1: So you like to hear those kind of comments in a small market team simply because you want your guy to not care about... You, you have that that feeling of security that he's going to stick around kind of what Kemba said as a mentality state. Obviously, if he wants to play in Charlotte, that's fine. Not sure if that's his decision. I guess it really depends on how Charlotte feels about him. You know, are they going to match a max offer sheet? Didn't he did he make third team this year?
0: Uh Kemba didn't uh, You know, actually I think he did. I think he made it over. I think he made it over Beal and um and Clay, right? Um, I can even, yeah. So he
1: made third team All NBA, so he can't get a paycheck from Charlotte. Just really, I guess, depends on how much they want to pay him. I'm sure there will be an offer from us on Kemba. I feel like there's too much buzz going around from some of our beat writers. That name's been thrown around around a lot. There probably will be an offer sheet, I would think. So as much as he would like to stay in Charlotte, I don't. I don't necessarily think that matters. What matters. who's going to pay him and who's going to offer you know and who's going to match what do you think
0: so yeah i i think that charlotte because well first of all they've been they're the team that's been mired in in mediocrity when i think of mediocrity i think of the charlotte hornets (laughs) they uh you know they they might make the playoffs occasionally you know maybe as an eight seed they're always on the verge of really making the playoffs and that seems to be all they ever accomplish and That seems to be. That's actually probably even a little bit less than mediocrity. And you know that someone like Michael Jordan, who's known as being the fiercest competitor of all time, you have to think that he's he's, he'd have a you'd you'd have to think that he's having a hard time with being just a very very bland average team. Now Kemba is obviously a beyond average player. He's you know borderline, well he's a star, borderline superstar. And so you you think that they might need to break that thing down and and start from the start from the ashes essentially and rebuild from there, but just because they've got a bunch of other guys on contract that are still going to be there for a while. So I I don't think I don't know if they want to pay him the supermax. I think that'd uh, I mean it, it's tough to say to to a star player that's been loyal to that franchise and that wants that wants to stay there. It's it's really tough to shun somebody like that. So maybe I'll be surprised and maybe they will end up doing it, but you know i think i think there's a decent chance that uh you know that he looks that that maybe charlotte forces him to look elsewhere and now taking into now taking into consideration the comments that he made about uh, not necessarily caring about his brand or the you know the size of the city um obviously you know he wants to win and i feel like the jazz can offer that to him we can't offer him the big city lights but we can offer him you know a, a team with winning dna a winning culture that's on the up and up with a, you know, a window right now that's that could be very competitive and we could be a contender with him. So, you know, I think overall I think his comments helped us. But at the same time, I mean if he ends up staying in Charlotte then, you know, he'll be there forever. <laughs> so, we'll see. How's his
1: defense? Is he average or a little bit below average? I don't think he's like a he's obviously not
0: a known defender. Yeah, he's not a known defender. He's he's a little small. Um, you know, I think I, I think he plays good defense within a scheme. Like you never hear about him getting. You know, he won't get singled out in like an isolation or anything. You know, they'll uh, they respect his quickness enough to where he's not going to get killed. He's just the the only real thing. He's just not super long and he's not super tall or strong. So, I guess that's the benefit of uh, of having you know Rudy as our anchor and then uh, you know another other defensive minded you know. I don't know who else, like Royce or whoever else surrounding him. But, uh, you know, I think Quinn's smart enough to make, as long as he's willing to play defense, uh, I, th- I think we'll be okay. Yeah,
1: totally. And I feel like Quinn's obviously a mastermind on both sides, scheming of hiding weaknesses and making their strengths look even stronger than what they are. So I'm not worried about that really at all. Um, Real quick, another thing on the Jazz note Ricky Rubio came out and said on a Spanish radio station, is that right? That it sounds like the Jazz are not making him a priority this year. It sounds like the marriage with Ricky Rubio is over. He might be a little upset. I don't know, but I think obviously it's better for both parties if we part way. Do you have anything to comment on that other than that or anything, any feelings about Ricky that you want to get off your chest?
0: You know, I I will say that I appreciated the way that Ricky came in to a franchise that was full of questions. Really, you know, you think about uh, you know the first few games where Donovan's a rookie, we didn't know what he could become. Yeah, Donovan, you know, he had some some really great games as a uh, you know in the summer league in the 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 Jazz summer league. But you know, coming in with maybe Rodney Hood being the number one guy and Rubio, really, I think he, I mean, it was scary. But I feel like he was the one that kind of calmed the situation down a little bit because he was decently consistent, like he didn't shoot, obviously he didn't shoot the lights out or anything, but he was someone that brought, um, you know, he had pride. He immediately had pride in representing the Utah Jazz in a a time that was, you know, kind of in flux and and right after Gordon leaving. So I thought that was really cool and I'm always going to appreciate that for him. And he always battled for us, even until the very last second of the last game against Houston where he airballed that three. You know, (laughs) it was, he was still battling and I respect that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not like he doesn't practice shooting. does. It's not like it's, you know, some guys just don't have it. And when it comes down to it, yeah, he's, in order for us to be contenders, Ricky Rubio is not a priority to re-sign. And he's calling it as he said it, and I appreciate everything he does, and I'll have a special place in my heart. But just like you said, I think it's, I think it's best that we, we go separate ways.
1: Yeah, and we'll always have the Oklahoma City series last year. He was great in that series. Things got a little weird at the end. Turnovers became a real issue with Ricky in the last second half of this season and then the playoffs is like stupid turnovers that really kind of put a sour taste in my mouth. But as a whole, I'll really like his quick tenure as a jazz man. I'll respect him as a person. He's one of those guys that you, you have to love off the court. Doesn't like immediately came in and made an impact on the community. Things that I didn't care about when I was a kid, but now that I'm a little bit older, things like that stick out to me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, Good guy it's just, you know, better I think it's one of those situations just better to part ways and enjoy what we had, you know. Don't cry cuz it's over,
0: smile cuz it happened, Berg. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he he saw us through a rocky point in time and you know, it's funny. I think about the jazz uh yeah, the jazz point guard position like the defense against the dark arts teaching job at Hogwarts like literally every single year since Darren Williams left, it feels like we've got a new point guard or every, you know, every 2 years, you know, from Devin Harris to earl watson to trey burke to you know dante for a time to george hill to ricky rubio it seems like our the point guard uh, position has had so much turnover and it'd be so nice to have some stability there because you think about all the teams in the league uh you know for the most part all the good ones have a solid consistent point guard you know even going to lowry and steph we're in the finals right now um and even if you look at the uh You know, and even in the previous rounds, you know, every team has a very solid and stable point guard. Doesn't have to be the best player on the team, but we really need some stability there.
1: Well, it's really turned into like the quarterbacking position in the NBA. Used to be a center dominated league when we were really young. It's really turned into a shooters league, which obviously a lot of point guards are shooters. And if guys can orchestrate an offense and be a threat themselves, It's obviously what the best teams have. And it's really weird, too, because, like you said, it's been a revolving door. But what we were known for when we had great teams in the 90s was we had arguably the greatest pure point guard of all time running the show. Um, So it's been ever since uh, Darren. Darren filled in for a good few years, but it's been face of our franchises, John Stockton and Karl Malone. And we need to find that. I think we need to find our identity, like you said, with a point guard that can at least... Not have to be the best player on our team, but someone that we can fall back on when things get a little rough. Yeah. Uh, switching gears here, a uh, little thing that Colby and I wanted to do with this podcast is talk about what we're going to call, what's the best thing you watch this week? Um, it's going to be movies. It could be literally anything. Uh, TV. Whatever we saw that uh, really kind of you know tickled our creative side and what we really liked. And I think... Colby are a few one episode maybe two episodes in I'm caught up right now but HBO is running a miniseries called Chernobyl and I have to say it's one of the best put together shows I've seen in a really really long time I think it's only five episodes so it's really nice and confined to itself obviously it's a historic event so there's no twists and turns it's just telling us the story of what
0: actually happened
1: uh what do you think man how many how many episodes are you in? how you feeling about the show
0: Dude, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm just one episode in. It's funny, I was going to watch the second one, but I actually started just like do, doing a little bit of research on Chernobyl, just uh, on the web, and I kind of got sucked down a black hole there um, and didn't end up watching the second episode, but I'm definitely going to watch it after the game tonight. Um, I'm super impressed, man. I mean, for a show that we know what the outcome's going to be, like, <laughs> they did such a great job of pulling on your emotions and, I mean, it's just crazy how, uh, I mean, you know, to start out, like, obviously, I've, I've just been through episode one, but, you know, when the meltdown was occurring or when the explosion occurred in the core, how everybody was just denying it. Like, that, these are scientists that, you know, that are built upon, you know, testing hypotheses, and proving facts and things, and they would not check the core, that, or the, at least the guy that was leading the charge wouldn't believe anybody that said the core was down, and that was like, I, I mean... That re- that re- that alone resulted in, you know, a few hundred deaths just because the guy would not believe them that the core had exploded, even though they had no reason to believe that it would because they didn't think it ever could. But uh, you know, it's really interesting and you know, I just the the emotion that you feel when you see the guys like I just felt dirty watching it. I just felt like I was getting contaminated. I felt like I was about to sprout a third arm or start throwing up on people, throwing up blood because it was so real sound feeling.
1: Yeah, uh they do a really good job and my favorite thing about this show and I think this is one of the most underrated aspects in visual storytelling is the editing and the pacing in the show is incredible. It really just peels back the layers at the perfect pace to where things set in but then something new happens and you're 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 blown away by it. It it's it's really well done. It's like a roller coaster ride. Like you said, we know exactly what's going on, but at the same time we have no idea what's going on. And one thing that's really fun about the show and I don't think I've even told you about this but HBO has put out a podcast that runs after each airing and it's with the creator his name's Craig Mazin and the podcast is with a guy from NPR I think his name's like Peter Sagal or something he has a podcast with NPR and they just kind of talk about what's real what really happened and what liberties they took with the show and what's really interesting to me is they kept it pretty freaking close to the truth the only thing that he really did was add the dramatic speech in a few scenes and they kind of condensed a few characters into one person um you're about to meet in episode two there's a lady that's kind of represents a bunch of different scientists of the day that come together and try and solve this problem but uh it's it's just incredible um what these people went through you're going to get a good taste of what the radiation poisoning looks like and it's one of the most disgusting and horrifying things I've ever seen. It, I don't know. I it, It's making me feel like Chernobyl's got to be one of the biggest, like, catastrophic failures in human history. They said something like, by the hour, it was putting out as much radiation as 20 Hiroshima bombs or something like that. Like, the numbers they throw out are mind-boggling, Berg.
0: Yeah, dude, I, I saw that. I think, I, I want to say it was like 400,000 times the Hiroshima bomb. Ugh. Like it was it was insane. It was just insane. And like, I thought it was so crazy how and, and this will be interesting to see if this is really the truth. But I guess it is. But like when it initially happened, and they had the meeting in the boardroom in episode one down in that, you know, they said they built that bomb shelter to, uh, to protect them against the US, you know, pulling anything crazy. And yeah. so they should be safe down there as their meeting. And, you know, they're arguing about whether or not they need to evacuate or not evacuate. And it was it was interesting, and it's it was cool, and you know, kind of. Uh, it, it was it was impressive how they were able to basically loop in the fact that, you know, the reason they didn't evacuate everybody wasn't because they didn't believe it wasn't safe, but what was because they didn't want the outside public to know to what extent they were dealing in with nuclear radiation. Like when that when the old guy, the old socialist, like I thought he was going to stand up and say, "Hey, we need to get people out of here," but instead he doubled down on the fact that like. No, we're we're going to become heroes here by Cut it. We're going to cut the phone lines. We're going to cut any communication outside the city. No one's leaving. We're going to, you know, hunker down. And, you know, we're doing this for the frickin' Mother Russia, basically. <laughs> Shout out. That's
1: actually, uh, I don't know if you noticed, that's Maester Lewin from Game of Thrones. Went from a very good guy to a guy that made a really stupid decision. <laughs> but, um, it's crazy. And... One thing that they do, I think, really well in the show, and you're not to this point yet, but I think growing up, because the Cold War was really fresh when we were kids, and a lot of stuff we watched came from the 80s, Russia was painted as this, like, red bear that is, like, the ultimate adversary to capitalism, and in this show... They show the bureaucracy a lot obviously there was a lot going on in Soviet Russia but they also kind of just show it as a country you know it's not this evil thing it's its own running government and it's different than what we're used to but it's not this oh uh, evil Russia we you know it's it's just this other country and something happened and it just shows how they tried to solve the problem and a lot of that there was bureaucracy going on but at the same time it's this it's it's just a country it's just normal people they paint they don't paint them as these evil communists it's just normal people that have to fix this problem and I pre- I really appreciate that just as a historic nerd to s- be able to see what their actual day-to-day lives were like and the problems that they were they were facing with this just insane event that unfortunately happened because a few bonehead moves I haven't gotten to the point where they find out how it actually happened but there's a few people to blame, and the country really, I guess, you got to give them credit where credit's due. They stepped up and solved as well as they could this massive problem that was could have been a lot worse. You'll find out how it could have been a lot worse. I don't want to give you any spoilers or anyone that's going to end up listening any spoilers, but let's just say Chernobyl could have been a lot worse than it was, and the country got together and solved the problem. It's really fun to watch, really fun to peel it back, and it's really terrifying as well because, I mean... It, What's stopping from another Chernobyl, you know, there's plenty yeah. of nuclear plants out there. It's just, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I have to correct myself. It was 400 times the radioactive um, material that was released by, or um, 400 times more than Hiroshima. So you were right. But yeah, dude, it's, it is crazy. And, you know, it started me, it, to lead me down, my little research uh, started to lead me down the Fukushima thing in Japan that happened in 2011, which might be worse But for some reason, we don't really hear about it all that much. And that might be a topic for another day because I need to inform myself a little bit more. But I know there's like an underground reactor in Japan that basically had a meltdown or underwater. Yeah. So that might be some subject for a little more research down the road because, you know, who the heck knows what's going on there. And uh, it's pretty scary if it's in the water. So, Uh, Yeah, I would say so. That's one thing that they
1: try to avoid in this show. And if it's already in the water, who knows what's going on.
0: Yeah, the bird falling from the sky to end the episode is uh, definitely a little bit of of uh, foreboding for what lies ahead, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, that first episode's really scary, because the people don't know what's going on. The people are living in Pirat, I'm going to say
0: all these... Yeah, it's like Pripyat, I think. Pripyat, yeah.
1: They're dancing in the ashes, and there's babies, and these people think it's this pretty, beautiful thing, and it's just completely radiated ash falling on these civilians, and Honestly, they're probably going to end up... If they don't die soon, they're going to die of cancer. And they had no idea. It's it's just heart-wrenching to see those adults holding their kids as the ash falls on their face. And Again, when you start seeing what this radiation poisoning does, Kolb... I mean... Let's just say the more humane thing to do is definitely probably put a bullet in them. Because it's disgusting. And it's miserable. And he explains... The main guy, the main scientist, explains how your body breaks down and it sounds like the most miserable thing i mean the bone marrow dies your veins or your blood vessels melt away you literally melt from the inside out and it's just terrifying and i can't believe people actually went through that
0: yeah the i mean it i know it's gonna be bad just like when the guy touched one of the firefighters the fire brigade as they call them when he touched the graphite from through his glove even and uh, his hand basically started to melt away. Like I'm thinking, okay, this is uh, this is real bad stuff. So yeah, I'm excited to. I, I I would imagine by the time we record the next podcast, I'll be fully caught up, and uh, we'll be able to speak a little more extensively to it. But it's crazy.
1: Yeah, good show. I, I suggest it to anybody. I think it's sitting at like a 9.7 on IMDb. So it's it's getting a lot of love. If you haven't seen Chernobyl yet, uh, get access to it and watch it really well done creative people that do a good job should get all the all the fame that comes with it um let's shift gears here though to something a little bit more happy i feel really bad talking about babies getting radiated Uh, um so we're we're recording this on june 2nd 2019 yesterday was june 1st 2019 the 20 year anniversary of blink 182's enema of the state colby For us, this might be the most important album that ever came out. I don't know. I I might throw that out there right now. Just because the chain reaction that happened in my life and the chain reaction that kind of happened in the music industry, we had that six, seven-year run of pop punk being mainstream. Uh, Tell me about your Enema of the State experience. What did it do to you? What's going on? Are you a big Blink guy? Give me a little background there for a minute.
0: So to start, of course – For anybody that knows us, knows that we're huge, huge music fans. Um, You know, have been since. Honestly, I think we've been music fans particularly since this album came out or as a result of this album coming out indirectly in one way or another, just like you mentioned. So, you know, I've never, I don't think I've ever, I've never downloaded a Blink-182 album. I've never, um, you know, I've streamed their songs. But uh, I know, like, Enema of the State, I remember, let's see, that came out in 1999. I just moved to Utah, and all the small things was all over MTV, and everywhere, and it was one of those things where, you know, I was intrigued by the music, and I thought it was, like, it was fun, and, like, it felt, in fourth grade, I was, we were in fourth grade, but it, it felt kind of a little too edgy, like, at that time, for me, it's funny thinking about that, but, like, watching the music video, but I was always like, wow, this is cool, and, uh, you know, it it really started. It was I feel like it was one of the first dominoes to fall um and create, you know, the pop punk that we fell in love with, you know, two, three, four, five years later. Right.
1: Right. Um so my story behind this it obviously wasn't, you know, the day the record came out, but as Blink One Eighty Two started to blow up and get the mainstream play and be on M T V. I remember me and my brother and mom went shopping at the ShopCo in Layton and my brother has it in his hands. It has the big black parental advisory sticker like right on the front. And my brother's like, "Mom, everyone's listening to this. Can I listen to it?" He was 11, I was 9. Really young for, you know, to listen to that type of music. And my mom's sitting there thinking about it, and one of our family friends said, it's, you know, like, yeah, there's some content in there they shouldn't know, but I think if you're upfront about it, it's okay. And she said, you know what, let's do this. She let my brother buy the album. Obviously, I'm the little brother. I don't get to call it my own, but I asked to borrow it every single night and listen to it in my little Discman. But shout out to Kathy Pruitt for being woke enough to (laughs) let these kids try, you know, and figure music out for themselves. And it really opened a door to me. Kent went down a little bit different road, you know, listened to ended up listening to harder music. But for me, pop punk really, I guess, touched me and like what I was going through and it really made sense for me. And this this record, uh, still very listenable. Uh, I listened to it twice yesterday um, for fun. And it's just the nostalgia factors there. What that did to me, the door that it opened, honestly, I could say it's life-changing just because music listening to music at that age, especially, becomes such a big influence on your life about how you conduct yourself and how you carry yourself and a lot of that came from that day that my mom decided to let us buy blink 182's enema the state and like you said all the small things was all over the place just a little fun facts for you they sold over 15 million copies it went five times platinum in the united states
0: wow that's i mean a testament to where the uh where the music industry was then and you know where it is now obviously with streaming and everything it's crazy how times have changed and You know, it is, first of all, yeah, shout out to your mom, first of all, and shout out to having an older brother. That's one thing that because I didn't have an older brother, I feel like I was maybe slower to come into some things and and learn about some things and adapt into some things. And so for me, Enem of the State still opened the door and made me aware of the music. And then I think what that did was, you know, as soon as other bands like, you know, New Found Glory started to break through um, and Fall Out Boy and, you know, Yellow Card and some of those bands started to break through. That was it, was kind of you know a musical itch that I felt like needed to be scratched after Blink 182 kind of opened the door and made it accessible. And so uh, it's it's so cool. Um, like you
1: said, um, you bring up Newfound Glory, um, it really opened the door for a lot of, I guess, mainstream pop punk bands to kind of run MTV for five or six years after End of the State came out. It's really interesting. I was reading about this actually. Kind of the story behind this record and so blink 182 had a little bit of notoriety from dude ranch that came out a few years before I'm sure everyone uh-huh. that knows blink 182's heard the song damn it that song went gold and mca records decided to fully sign the band so it's their first major release and they teamed him up with this guy named jerry finn and i i kind of wanted to learn a little bit about who jerry finn was he's a sound engineer and producer and this guy berg might be the godfather of pop punk so he was doing weezer a band called fastball and Goo Goo dolls before blink 182 yeah yeah but after Enema of the state comes out this guy comes out and starts producing rancid pennywise melancholin the vandals phoenix tx the offspring mxpx some 41 bad religion alkaline trio newfound glory afi tiger army and really known for green day as well. Like this guy is the man who kind of put pop punk on the map for mainstream listenability. Unfortunately, he sadly passed away a few years ago, but I got to give a huge shout out to Jerry Finn mixing some of the records that really made the music that I loved a possibility. And some random kids throughout the entire country decide to start bands, bands that I really love and hold dear to my heart. And it was a fun time. Yeah. Anything else you want to add?
0: Yeah, dude, it's funny when, well, yeah, when you when you, uh, when you read through those names, I feel like I'm reading the back of like, uh, you know, like back in the day, how when you buy a CD, one of the first things you do is when you play it the first time, you read through the lyrics, and then in the back, you see the thank yous, and then you see the shout outs that the band gives the other bands, and uh, going through those names, I mean, I felt like I was just reading through one of the, you know, one of those early 2000s records with all those different bands, so it's pretty incredible, and uh, yeah, yeah and this is kind of a side note and i think cuz we're on the you know normally we we go the grass is grass is or is not greener um segment around now but i was thinking i saw a po- i saw a tweet a couple days ago from uh i think it's Ricky Gervais, and he he tweeted out and i'm actually going to read it um because it's music related and kind of in this nostalgic vein and i feel like this would be appropriate to cover here um he tweeted out almost there almost there almost there I know this is great content right here. It's loading. He basically said, Okay, what are the what five albums did you play have oh wait here it is. What five albums have you listened to the most in your life? Be honest, not trendy. Mine are, and then he lists off his five. And as I was I was thinking about that for me, I was thinking, my five for sure like were released like around that time and they were when I was in, you know, late. Well, yeah, junior high and high school, and uh, I, I had a hard time actually coming up with what those would be. Um, I thought of a couple right off the top of my head, and I know I'm kind of springing this on you, but uh, think think for a second here. I'll, I'll tell you what at least the uh, the the three that come to my mind immediately are, and then I'd have to think about the other two, because I listen, we listen to a lot of music back when albums were the thing, where we'd always, you listen to the full album. You know, that was that was a special time. So I, I think that my number one that I probably listened to the most of all time album would be The Artist in the Ambulance by Thrice. Um, came out in 2003. I still listen to it consistently now. So, you know, for the past 16 years, it's been a consistent player. Um, yeah, number two on my list, I want to say it's Take This to Your Grave by Fallout Boy. Another one that, you know, basically from from eighth grade on from yeah pretty much 2004 on um has been a mainstay in my playlist listen to that one a bunch and the third one is funny and it's random but i I, it probably is the third most album i've ever listened to and that's hybrid theory by lincoln park and from literally i want to say 2001 to 2003 i feel like every single day i was listening to that thing and it's so funny because i remember playing like um video games listening to hybrid theory by linkin park and i still know all the words to every single song whether or not i think that's cool or not if one of them starts playing i guarantee i know the words it's it's just crazy how it sticks with you and i i burned the i burned that cd to death that's for sure the other two i'd have to think about but did you have three that come to your head
1: yeah um this this list might like you said actually have to take some sitting down and Thinking about my number one all time listen to album, has pr- I'm more than I think this is hundred percent. It's Newfound Glory Self Titled. So that was the first CD I ever bought. Going back to Enem of the State, I really wanted to find something that was mine because Enem of the State was my brother's. That record came out a year later, and I saved up my own money. and I asked my mom, Can I go buy a CD? and I bought Newfound Glory's Self Titled album. and I fell asleep to that CD every single night for the next like three years, dude. And I still listen to it every—not every day, but every so often—I'll pop that thing back in and love every minute of it. Number two for me, probably is "Take This to Your Grave" as well. You know what's funny about that? When you were talking about that Berg, tell me. Fall Out Boy's obviously huge now, but when that CD was getting play and they were touring that that record, it was like the underground kids—like it was their thing. You know what I mean? If you listen to Fall Out Boy's "Take This to Your Grave," it's like all right, this guy legitimately like understands pop punk. And now they blew up, and when you say, like, oh, yeah, I like Fall Out Boy, but they're old stuff, it's whatever. But for those few years before Sugar Were Going Down blew up, like, right when From Murder the Cork Tree came out, Fall Out Boy was, like, one of the, the pop-punk mainstays, and one of the pop-punk, like, cornerstone bands. Um, So that that definitely's up there.
0: And it's funny you say that, just to kind of piggyback on that, because if you think about it, that was, like, for us, it seemed like an eternity, Yeah, but in reality, it was like for like a period of like two to two and a half years. And it's just funny how like you think of where we were two and a half years ago, and you just think how time is compressed, and it's, it's just insane. But yeah, you're right. I, I'm 100% in agreement with you.
1: Number three, honestly, is probably Newfound Glory, Stick, and Stones. So there's two Newfound Glories up there. <clears throat> Either that, or I'm thinking I might plug in in terms of what I've listened to the most, there might be a Taking Back Sunday record in it, this spot. It's either Tell All Your Friends or Where You Want to Be. I have listened to those a ton. They were a snowboarding CD that I always put back before I even had an iPod. I would just, you know, bring one CD up on the mountain. And definitely Taking Back Sunday was one of those bands that i bring mm-hmm. up there. And this is funny. my Since you brought in a funny, you know, Linkin Park hybrid theory, the one that I'm going to say that at least in our friend group that doesn't get thrown around a lot, but a album that I've listened to on repeat since it came out is the Atari's so long Astoria. I thought that one might be, might be coming up. I love, I absolutely love that record It is incredible. Shout out Chris Rowe for making one of the better just attached to my life bits of music that's ever come out. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Dude. No, that's, that's so cool. It's funny to, it's funny to kind of go back on memory lane and it's, yeah. And you know, for the record, these aren't necessarily our favorite albums, even though they, I think they actually are in a lot of cases, probably a hybrid theory, not for me, not so much, but you know, for, you know, that we, we were very lucky when we grew up, we, we say this all the time that, uh, you know, what almost feels like the perfect type of music for growing to grow up to came out just as we were like coming of age. And, uh, it's something that that I really appreciate and I appreciate having friends that, that, you know, feel the same way. And that's really one thing that, that kind of, you know, bonded us, um, especially you and me, um, you know, starting in, starting in eighth grade, it wasn't, you know, sports or girls or anything. It was, uh, you know, we were talking about, I think Rufio and Thursday and, you know, newfound glory. And it's cool that, you know, because of that common denominator between us you know here we are sitting on our couches recording a podcast you know 12 years later
1: yeah it's really cool
0: and when i say 12 years later i really mean like 15 years later
1: (laughs) going back to the time thing you start losing track of years uh yeah i agree though i think music definitely is so ingrained into the fabric of our dna and our friendships dna it's just something that really made sense to listen to. If you if you go back to the 90s, it was like, you know, that grungy, everyone's wearing flannel, kind of darker music. But in the 2000s, because of Blink-182, this kind of suburbia takeover, it, the exact life that we were living was being put yeah. into music. And it was popular, and it's catchy, and it's fast, and it's fun, and it's raw, and it, there's just so many factors that go into it, and it's just perfect. And it was perfect to grow up to. And I think a lot of the reason I am the way I am is because of the music I listen to and continue to listen to. And yeah, I really just got to say that this Blink-182 album is something that I can always appreciate. It might not be my favorite record ever, ever made, but it might be one of the most important records ever made
0: in my life. And you know, it's funny that uh that when we were texting before we recorded our last episode, you asked me what what uh you know, what our intro music should be because every every podcast needs to have a solid intro song and immediately what came to my head again blink 182 isn't in my top maybe 15 to 20 favorite bands or artists but the song what's my age again which conveniently off of the state is our intro and i feel like you know here we are reminiscing upon uh you know being you know the teenagers and um you know looking fondly upon those years and still having kind of a, a youthful happy you know, happy-go-lucky mentality, despite, you know, wherever we are in life right now, which I'd say we're both in great places, you know, even still, you know, we feel young. And I think, I think our appreciation and growing up around pop punk has kept us that way. So I feel like what's my age again is a perfect intro to this podcast. And it's pretty fitting that, uh, we just hit its 20 year mark on, uh, on existence.
1: Yeah. Crazy, man. Crazy, 'Cause when you're living in the moment it feels like a long time and looking back at it it is seriously a blink of an eye.
0: It is. But here we are. And uh this was uh this was a great pod. It was good to good to catch up. We're gonna wrap things up here um for, for the pod today. We appreciate everybody tuning in and uh we're gonna get this thing dialed in and, and we're gonna have uh some more episodes coming out for you shortly, so We'll see. There should be another two more games played in the finals before we reconvene, maybe three, depending on how many are scheduled for next week. But, uh, Kurt, it's been fun, man. It's
1: been a blast, dude. Uh, Anyone that ends up listening to this, I know we just ramble on about whatever stuff we want to talk about, but we appreciate your interest. So uh, we're going to have fun with this, I think, dude.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody that's listening, um, feedback, questions—literally, you kind of know what we're talking about, what we're about here. So don't hesitate to to fire away your thoughts and questions, and uh, we'll we'll start to address some of those on air as uh, as this thing builds a little more steam. So, keep. <laughs>